Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubitt. So we have been in a series titled Runaway Grace out of Philemon. And this is part two. If you haven't heard part one, I would recommend you go to our YouTube channel or our Facebook, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. All that stuff is out there. Go listen to it because grace is everything. You know, I was praying about, God, where should I go next? What, do, what would you want done? And, and I got to be honest with you, I got... And you've really beat them in the head pretty hard the last few months. How about you love on them a little while? And so I'm going to love on you a little while to the degree I can love on you. I'm capable of loving on you. Um, and so, so grace is the best love that we have. We talked last week in the first part of this series about Philemon, the, the letter to Philemon, and what it is. And so let me review that for you just so the rest of this makes sense. Philemon was a slave owner. And he had previously owned a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus ran away. He was a runaway slave. Ran to Rome to get away from Philemon. Somehow, the records don't indicate how, he came into contact with Paul in Rome while he was in prison, while Paul was imprisoned. He came into a relationship with God. Through that relationship, Paul realized he needed to go make his situation right. And so he sent Philemon or Onesimus back to Philemon to seek his forgiveness. And so Paul is being the intermediary between. And I told you guys last week, and it's the way it's it's the way I read Philemon, as I read the book of Philemon as a shadow. And what I mean by that is in it, I can see Jesus, God, and us. I see Jesus in Paul being the intercessor to the one that was offended, Onesimus, God, on the behalf of the one that created the offense, which is us. And so the whole letter is a beautiful picture of grace in the gospel that Jesus makes intercession to the offended on our behalf. And with that in mind, we talked last week, I was going to boil it down to a sentence or two, about how grace is love freely given. Before we understand anything else about grace, which is what we talked about last week, we need to understand that it's love. If you take grace and you, if you, Reverse engineer it, you're going to find that grace is birthed from compassion. Compassion is birthed from mercy, and mercy is birthed from love. So the reason God gave you grace, the reason God gave you anything that you have is for no other reason than love. And we see that in the first part of Philemon, and we dissected that, which is the reason why I would recommend go back and Listen to that if you would like to, uh, or I'd recommend you go back and listen to it regardless of whether you would like to. to. Today, 
I'm going to talk about grace. And because it's love, grace, love that empowers. Love should empower us. Did you catch that? The grace that God extended to you should motivate you, should empower you, should strengthen you to constantly drive forward. Grace is love that empowers us, gives us strength. Paul knew what it meant to be empowered by grace. In 1 Corinthians, he didn't talk theoretically. He talked from his own experience. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, he says this, For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. I don't think Paul's talking out of both sides of his mouth here. I don't think he's talking out of false humility. I think he really believed that he's the least of the apostles. He is the worst of the worst because he created essentially what would be the worst offense was the persecution, the criminalization of Christ's bride. And he said, because I destroyed the church or tried to destroy the church, I am the least. And many of us say, because I did this, I am the least. Because I did this, I'm the least. You look around and you go, I'm the worst sinner in here. Let me tell you, you don't really know anybody else's story, and nobody else knows your story. What you need to understand and realize and come into grips with and at peace with is that God extended you grace regardless of what your story was so that you could have a new story. Amen? Which is exactly what he says in the next verse. He said, but (laughs) by the grace of God, I am what I am. He said, I was this, but by the grace of God, I am now what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. And so what does he say? He said, I was this horrible person, but God extended grace to me. And because the grace was extended to me, it empowered me to be who I am. Who was Paul? Man, Paul was incredible. Once he came to an understanding of who God was, truly was, who Jesus was. He wrote most of the books in our New Testament. He went, he preached the gospel. Christ and him crucified as his primary purpose all the days of his life, even up to and including to the point of his death. And is responsible because of his writings, his life, and his actions for what has to be multiple billions of people since that time for their salvation. Not because he was the least apostle, but because the grace of God empowered to be him to be who he was called to be. The grace of God can empower you to be who you're called to be. And because he was empowered, he knew he had some work to put in. But then he said, I've been empowered, but I know it's not my power. I walk in strength, but it's not my strength. It's by the grace of God the strength of God that I'm empowered to do what I do. I am what I am because of grace, so I work, but I'm empowered by God to work. So there's this cyclic loop. God gave me grace, gave me strength, and in that strength I work, but that strength that I work in is His grace so that other people may come to know grace too. Isn't that beautiful? Why do I tell you all that? Because Paul understood when he's asking Philemon, to extend love that empowers, to extend grace to Onesimus, he knew what he was talking about. 
And so he talks to Philemon and writes four points, or he doesn't actually give four points. I've pulled four principles out of this text to talk about what grace empowers us to do and what grace empowers us to be so that we might be who God called us to be. Because that's the hope, right? That we all ultimately end up where God wants us. So I'm going to do the teaching today from Philemon 10 through 16. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. Grace is never a compulsory work. Grace is a love work. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Amen. And so he tells us what grace empowers us to do. Number one, if you're taking notes, I try to very intentionally teach the way that I do so it's easier for you to take notes and go back and study. So point one, grace empowers repentance. Grace empowers repentance. You know what you're not going to find in this letter? Any verse that backs that point up. (laughs) Well, you're talking out of context. No, you're not going to find any verse that backs this point up. Repentance is literally the context of the letter. Read the whole letter and you'll come to understand that what Paul was asking Philemon to do on behalf of Onesimus was only possible because grace empowered Onesimus to repentance. We have to be people of repentance. Onesimus was a person of repentance. I'm going I'm to sit here for a minute because I think it's important. I, I don't think it's important. It may be the most important thing I talk about today. Onesimus went from Rome back to Philemon's house because he had repented. Onesimus never said, I was sorry. Nobody wants your sorry. God doesn't want your sorry. God wants your repentance. When I say I'm sorry, you guys see politicians, pastors, leaders of businesses, CEOs. They get caught in some kind of craziness and they get up to the platform and they, they these big alligator tears and they're all, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry about what I did, blah, 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 blah. That's not repentance. That's confession. But your confession doesn't mean anything without repentance. You have to actually take action. You have to do something. And you know what the first thing you have to do to be repentant as Onesimus was repentant? 
You have to repent and ask forgiveness for the one you've primarily offended first. Psalms 51 verse 4, David's talking us the whole psalm is about repentance. But he said it's God that he offended first. I have sinned against you primarily. If you're a person of repentance, you don't say sorry. You get on your face before the Lord and you ask God to forgive you of your sin, expecting him to release grace to you to save you out of that mess that you were in so that you can be empowered to live righteously. But that's only half of it. It's the main piece of it. But now you also, according to Matthew chapter 5, have to go to the person you offended and ask their forgiveness. Ask them to extend grace to you. Because you have a repentant heart, you're willing to set down your sacrifice. Go find them and say, would you please forgive me? And then take action to prove that you desire to be forgiven. Do you know what the primary proof of action is? Obedience. If I, if I told you, or if I asked your forgiveness and I was truly repentant and you said, yes, I forgive you, but I need you to do this. I should be willing to do that, to make amends for that which I did wrong to you. Our repentance should expect obedience from us. What are you obedient to? We're obedient to the Word of God. You should read your Bible. I know I sound like a broken record up here, but the, the worst thing I can imagine our church being is a church full of people whose Bible sits in their back seat until they need it on Sunday morning. You better open this thing up, man. You know why? Because how do you know who you're supposed to be if you don't know who God is? You're not trying to reflect yourself. You're trying to reflect a holy living God. And if I don't know what a holy living God looks like, how can I reflect him properly? The answer is that I can't. And so I have to read about him, learn about him, get wisdom and revelation concerning him so that I might know him so that I can show him to other people. That's so good. I'm trying to preach good in here today. Do you understand what I'm saying? Obedience. And then we have this promise. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Oh, you want to prove you're a person of repentance? Keep his commandments. Be obedient. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And this is the promise. This is the beautiful promise. And I will disclose myself to him. Man, that just busts me wide open. How many of you have something you don't know about God you'd love to know? <laughs> right? It should be everybody. Unless you've got an absolute 100% firm grip on who God is, that should be your hand. You need God to expose himself to you to reveal himself to you. He's only promised to do that if you're in obedience. Why would he give you more of himself if you're not walking in the obedience for the peace that you already know? When I'm doing a premarital class or something along those lines, when the premarital couple comes in, I hand them a book or I tell them, buy this book, read these chapters, 
They read the chapters. If they come back the second time but didn't read the chapter, guess what I'm doing? I'm telling them to go away and read the chapter. We're not getting part two because you haven't done part one yet. You're not getting a greater understanding of God because you haven't been obedient to the peace you already know. We just, I want information, I want information, I want information, I want information. You got too much information, not enough revelation. That's why your head's full of junk, but your life is still messed up. Man, that's a good preacher right there. I was felt rushed in the first two services. Y'all going to be here all day. But my whole point is repentance. Grace empowers us to that repentance. The Holy Spirit empowers us to repentance. We don't even know we're sinners unless the Holy Spirit empowers us to let us know we're sinners. We're dead in our sins and our trespasses according to the Word of God. But God, through Christ Jesus, sent His Holy Spirit to prick our hearts so that we might know that we are defiled, that we are corrupt by very nature. But didn't just leave us out there knowing we were corrupt, sent His Son Jesus to die so that we would no longer be corrupt, but that happens in repentance and action. Not some mealy mouth confession down here at the altar. Save that somewhere else. I don't want your lies up here at the altar. That's foolishness. People come up here and they say, I said a prayer when I was seven. I'm good. I'd live like I want to. You're going straight to hell because you just said something you had no intention of being obedient about. I talk my breath. I told you I was going to love on you today. <laughs> I struggle with that just so y'all know. I mean, I do love y'all. I love you enough. I just want to, I want you to know this stuff. You know, but in walking out our confession, something incredible happens. In walking out our repentance, our obedience, something incredible happens. Grace empowers transformation. I have never met a Christian that truly gave their life to the Lord, that truly tasted grace that their life at some level wasn't transformed over time. I'm not perfect. Everybody in this room knows I ain't perfect. I was catcalling my wife from the back of the room while she was up here doing <laughs> offertory a little while ago. I'm not perfect. I do what I can. But you know what? I'm a lot better than I was 16 years ago when I gave my life to the Lord. A month after I gave my life to the Lord, I was better off than I was the day I gave my life to the Lord. God expects a transformation in us, but doesn't just expect transformation in us, gave us grace so that via the Holy Spirit so that we might be empowered for transformation. What? That's so good. God didn't just say, be obedient and good luck. He said, be obedient. Now let me give you grace so that you can have the strength to be obedient. And you know what? Sometimes I mess up. I fall out of that obedience, but you know what I do? I don't give up. I continue the transformation process by repenting again. That's so good. It's beautiful, really. Hmm. I guess I should have read the verses. 10 and 11 says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and me. He became useful because he was begotten. And he was begotten, that is saved, 
through his repentant process. I've been useless before. Y'all ever been useless? My papa always tell me, boy, you are useless. I can remember he'd leave, he'd leave me at the house to bake pies and stuff with my granny when him and my big brother and my uncle would go cut firewood because I was about this big around and several years younger. I was so mad about that. They go cut firewood in the old truck. I wanted to be a man too, but Papa said, you're absolutely useless. You can't pick up any firewood. Y'all, that sounds harsh. It's not harsh. He told me the truth, and you know what I did? I worked towards getting stronger so that I could be useful. That's the act of transformation. But God expects transformation from us, but has empowered us for it. How do I do it? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So first thing you need to do is you need to take yourself up here and sacrifice yourself at the altar of God. Take off the old self, put on the new self. Live by the fruits of the Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to grow those fruits in you. I bet I've had four conversations this week. People are all, so how do you know we're just, it's, they're all pastors, so we're just kind of theoretically talking, theologically discussing how can we tell people they are for sure saved? How do we do this, that, and the other thing? In the end of the day, the answer is time and fruit. The older a tree is, the more fruit it has. So grow the fruits of the Spirit. I know that your life is being transformed as your fruit increases. And that fruit should be according to your kind which is Christ Jesus. But then he carries on. He says, And do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I've prayed today. Somebody asked me to pray for their mind. Several different times, actually. We don't get our minds right because we're trying to conform our mind instead of allow God to transform our mind. You know the difference between transformation and confirmation? Conforming is trying to press something into a mold. I'm trying to conform this substance to look like that substance. And so I push it and prod it to give this air that I am what that is. And the church is full of these kinds of people. They come to church, they put on the right clothes, they use the right Christian language. They might even serve or give. But they're just conformed. They're not transformed. They haven't had a transformation of their character. You know what character we should be representing? The character of Christ. Because to be a Christian is to walk as Christ walked. And so to be transformed is to be a new creature. Stop trying to push yourself into the mold of what you think a Christian should look like and let the Holy Spirit empower you to show you what a Christian should look like. And I'll tell you, you'll find that, not to be a broken record, in the Word of God. That's good. But we become useful. But I want to tell you something. Talked a little bit about work. So people get freaked out. It's not by your work. It's by his work. It's by his strength. It's by his empowerment. It's the whole point of this lesson. It's not something you can do on your own, nor should you try. Zechariah 4.6 says it best, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You want something effective to happen in your life? Let me tell you, the strength in your body ain't going to get anything eternal done. It's by the Spirit of God working through us, empowering us with grace 
that we're able to be transformed into who God's called us to be. Amen? And in our transformation, we become faithful. 12 and 14 reads like this. I have sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I didn't want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but out of your own free will. Grace empowers faithfulness. Onesimus was faithful to Paul. I need you to hear that because I'm going to explain it to you. Faithfulness means steadfastness, immovability. There's an assurance in faithfulness. How does this prove that Onesimus was faithful? He said because he had, he had helped him. He had ministered to Paul. He was there for Paul. He took care of Paul. You know what the big deal is? You know what proves his faithfulness? It was Paul that was in prison, not Onesimus. The guy who essentially was probably wanted by the law, snuck into the jail to take care of someone that had preached the gospel to them. That's faithful. Man, I'm going to go around a bunch of people that might know I'm a runaway slave and return me to my master where I could be killed. But you know what? Because I've been begotten by the ministry of Paul, I'm going to be faithful to his ministry. I'm going to be faithful to the work that he's doing. I'm going to be faithful to the God that he serves. This is what transformative work should look like in us. It should, through grace, empower us to be faithful. Faithful is a verb. It's an action word. We have to be there. Just be there. People in need in your community, be there. People hungry where you're at, be there. Somebody's sad, maybe need some prayer, ask them and be there. Be faithful. Grace will empower you to do that. One of the prayers I pray all the time before I leave the house, and I've shared this with you before, is God, give me eyes to see someone that may need a word from you today or an encouragement from you today. And you know he has never, not one time, not answered that prayer. It may be at the frustration of whoever I'm talking to initially, but before it's over, I'm talking to them. I'm encouraging them. I'm loving them. Sometimes I even get to pray with them. You know why? Because I'm faithful. Because grace has empowered me to be faithful to the calling on my life. You should be empowered. You have been empowered by grace if you belong to Christ Jesus to be faithful. Amen? All right. Be faithful. Set aside your own rights and privileges. Recognize that it's not about you. It's about God. And don't do it out of compulsion. I love that word. He said by compulsion. Not in effect by compulsion, but by your own free will. Faithfulness is never obligatory. It's empowered. It wants to. Man, I, I would do that, but it'd be inconvenient for me. Nobody asked you to whether or not you were inconvenienced. They asked you to be faithful. Well, I would stop and pray with that person if, if, I, if I had time. Make time. Can you remember a, a time in your life where you were hanging on by a thread? And if just one person, maybe even just a short text message, would have reached out to you, it would have 
it would have blown your whole day up for the good. I can. I, I just read a text message like that to you just a few moments ago because somebody was faithful. Be faithful where you are. It's completely off the subject, but it's all right. I'm over time anyway. It's not off the subject, but it's not in my note. There's two different boats in your Bible. There's actually several, but two I'm going to speak of. One was Jonah's boat. One was Paul's boat. Jonah's boat was in a storm. Jonah made that boat worse. Jonah's mere presence in that boat made that boat worse. Paul was facing a shipwreck and death. But Paul's very presence in that boat made that boat better. What's the difference between the two? Their faithfulness. They were empowered in their faithfulness. Jonah was trying to run from faithfulness. Paul was being faithful where he was. I say that to say this. If someone has been encouraging to you, if someone has made your boat better, call them this week, text them this week, and just say thank you for making my boat better. You might need to put some context in there because it's going to sound weird, but, but be faithful to the relationships God has given you and that God is trying to give you because that's what grace empowers us to do. Amen? And then finally, yes, I said finally, as grace empowers for faithfulness, grace empowers for restoration. For perhaps he was, for this reason, separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I love this, that for perhaps he was, for this reason, separated from you for a little while. Early church history will tell us, now it's extra biblical, but early church history writes about Onesimus. And it says that when Onesimus left, he probably stole some significant amount of money. Or when Onesimus left, he stole some kind of significant amount of money from Philemon and probably even went as far as to harm him or harm his family physically. So when he says this, for perhaps it was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever, he's saying, look, I know his leaving was bad, but perhaps, just perhaps, the bad thing that you thought was bad was for a purpose. This sounds familiar to me. Sounds very familiar to me. In fact, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For perhaps the thing that you're going through is for the sake of your restoration. Perhaps God has graced you to be empowered to be restored. Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't. But I know Romans 8, 28, that verse I just read you is true. Do you love him? Are you called according to his purpose? And he's going to work it out for good regardless. That we be restored. Not just to him, 
but to one another. This verse, no longer is a slave. I want you to take him in as a brother, not a slave. He's not a slave to you anymore. He's a brother, especially to me. That's saying he's a, he's a brother to Paul. I need him to be a brother to you because both of us in the flesh are brothers in the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Grace empowers all of that. This thing that none of us deserve empowers us to repentance, empowers us to transformation, empowers us to faithfulness, and empowers us to restoration. And I thank God that he loves me enough to send me grace and to extend that grace that I'd be empowered to do those things. That's my prayer for you too. Amen? Let's pray.